0: Welcome to Win Win, a podcast from the Department of Sport and Exercise Science at the Waterford Institute of Technology. I'm your host, Bruce Wardrop, and in each episode, I'll be chatting with someone who works behind the scenes in sport, helping athletes to maximise their performance potential. If my guest is winning, hopefully their athletes are winning too. Today, we are continuing this uh, season's Paralympic theme, and I'm speaking with Anna Mea, who is the classification manager with Paralympics Ireland. Anna, hello, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello, Bruce. Thanks very much for having me today.
0: No, I'm delighted. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to chat to you today. I actually think I, I, I spent a, a, two cycles working with Paralympics and I finished up after London as they prepared for Rio. And I, I think I'm right in saying that you, you came on board around about the time of Rio. Is that right? Yes.
1: Yeah, so I volunteered for Paralympics Ireland since 2013, but it was in the uh, beginning of uh, 2016 where I was actually hired and started working full-time for, with them. So I I just started the year towards Rio and I was in, in Rio 2016 Paralympic Games.
0: Okay, so we really must have just missed each other then, because I finished up around about 2013. I took a step back after London, but I stayed on a just for the, the debriefs and all, all the, the, to wind up after London before I took a step back. So if you started in 2013, we must have just missed each other as you started to volunteer. So maybe I'll ask about that. So what volunteer work did you do?
1: So I started volunteering as a classifier for swimming, so literally, I'm from Brazil. Had my experience working with para swimming and para sports in general over there, and relocated to Ireland initially just for one year, and it's been ten years now. <laughs> so uh, when I when I came to Ireland, I was really keen to to volunteer and start expi- uh, having more experience around classifications. So that's that's when I approached Paralympics Ireland and asked if they would like me to volunteer or how would classifiers work in, in Ireland, and I started helping them out with national classification.
0: Okay, so maybe for some of our listeners out there, they mightn't have any idea what we're talking about here. What is classification in Paralympic sports?
1: So basically, athletes with disability they would have a disadvantage when competing against able-bodied athletes. So a system was put in place to minimise the impact of these impairments on the performance. So the classification would... Um, determines who is eligible to compete in para-sport and also would group those eligible athletes into different categories called classes according to the level of their activity limitation. So okay, that's so, pretty much what
0: classification Yeah, is. Well, in a nutshell, that's what it is. So um, first of all, you, may, you said there's something interesting about eligible uh, 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 disability. So is not every uh, a person with a disability might be eligible to participate in para-sports?
1: No, it's not. So... The International Paralympic Committee, they have uh, they developed an athlete classification code uh, to set the basic rules around classification across all sports. And then each international federation have to comply with those rules, coming up with their own rules for their own sports. And within those rules, so the IPC, which is the International Paralympic Committee, they list 10 eligible impairments. So eight physical impairments, visual impairment and intellectual impairment. So those are the list of Ten impairments, and within each international federation, they can decide which impairments they will consider eligible for their own sports.
0: Okay, so eight types of physical impairments, uh, visual impairments, and intellectual impairments. So if they if you fall under those categories, you may be eligible to participate in Paralympic sport and para sports.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So there are a few physical impairments that are not listed on that on has eligible impairments so really you have to to be in that category of the eight uh, impairments listed.
0: Okay so now we know what classification is we're grouping the athletes together according to the to the level of their disability why do we need to do that
1: basically to provide a, a framework for competition providing fairness to sport so athletes the athlete who wins that is they win because they are good athletes. They are fit. They have the the right skill set to win, rather than which kind of impairment or what level of impairment they have. So classification is really to provide this fair structure for competition.
0: Okay, very good. Um. So, yeah. So you mentioned there that we might it, it, it's the athlete who wins in a particular uh, in a sport. So in in Paralympics, we, we take a step back. We could have multiple hundred meter champions, isn't that right?
1: Yes, because they, they athletes are grouped into classes. So really for an athlete with a, a higher level of activity limitation doesn't compete against an athlete with a, a minimal impairment. So really they are divided into classes. So this these provides a fairness uh, playing field and they they the same athlete, athletes with similar activity limitations have the same chance to win. So what will determine who wins is the fitness level, the athlete's skills, rather than what kind of impairment they have
0: very good now my next question is kind of a big one how does it all work
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's a complex process actually different steps so really first we have to just outline that there are different levels of classification so athletes go through their national classification when, once they are ready to compete at national competitions. So when they are starting the sport and when they are joined the club, they are in the participation level, they don't need to be classified at that stage. So really they have to get familiar with the sport, compete in regional competitions, and then once they are ready to start competing at the national level, then that's the time they have to seek for national classification. So okay. basically they have to go through their own national governing bodies and I would work closely with each NGB to provide a, a classification calendar, uh, depending on their demand in per, per year. So once they we have those classification days, the athletes are identified, which athletes are in the right start, uh, stage of their career to be classified, they, so we target the events. So classification is always, always occurred in conjunction with national competitions or training camps. So once we target the days, target the athletes. Athletes have to submit their medical documentation in advance because we have to check if they have an eligible, that it's it's eligible, first of all, or not. For those athletes who have an eligible impairment, they are invited to attend a face-to-face class evaluation. So really, um, the first step to to find out eligibility would be to find out if their impairment is considered eligible for that particular sport. Then during the evaluation, athletes go through a medical and a technical evaluation where the classifiers will um, test, depends on the disability, there's a specific kind of tests. So for example, if the athlete has cerebral palsy, we will test their coordination, their reflex, their uh, um, spasticity. If they have a spinal cord injury, for example, we will do muscle power tests to determine the level of the injury if they have short stature we would measure their height their arm's length so really depending on what impairment they have we're going to go through a different medical assessment uh, the technical assessment is sport specific so really depending on the sport that they do they're going to be required to do some sport specific tasks so for example if it's swimming pool we're going to bring them to the swimming pool to do some uh, sport specific tasks or we're going to bring them to athletics track and to observe really how the impairment impacts on the performance uh, of the sport. That is, um, athletes need to complete, to, sorry, to meet a minimum impairment criteria, which is really how severe an impairment must be to be eligible for each sport. So these impairment criteria, it's specific for each sport. So it's detailed on the each international federation rules. And we would determine as well, Uh, if an athlete would be eligible for that sport or not. So for those athletes, those criteria are assessed during the medical and the technical assessment. So for those athletes who do meet these minimum impairment criteria, in the end of the evaluation, they are allocated a class to compete and then they are observed in competition just for us to make sure that whatever we saw during the evaluation matches with whatever we see in competition. So really... Summarizing, that's how the classification works. In the end of this day, then the athletes will receive a class and they will receive a classification status as well, which means if they will have to be classified again in the future or not.
0: Well, I think you've done a really good job of explaining a fairly complicated system there. I was sitting here just nodding away, saying, Yep, that makes perfect sense. I can see the flow of that working really, really well. But I imagine. In practice, it's quite a complex process and every individual athlete is going to be different. And and then across all the different sports, it is uh, is complex.
1: Yeah, it is because we have different impairments, different level of impairments. Non-athlete is the same. So really, it's very individualized. And we it, it's a sport specific as well. So it's not one system for everybody. So it depends on the which is sport you, you will evaluate the range of motion of the athletes in a different uh, position, in a different range, actually, because it's really sport specific. So whatever movements, whatever tasks they are required to perform for that particular sport.
0: OK, so I think it would have be right in saying that you could have an athlete with a, a particular uh, impairment and they could fall into different classes if they were to compete in different sports because of their uh, their impairments exactly. and how it's applied in the sports.
1: Exactly. And then that even there are even athletes that would be eligible for one sport, but not eligible for another sport.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's really, really uh, unique. You mentioned there that the the, the athletes have to go through a, both a medical and a technical classification. So does, does that mean there's a different there's different types of classifiers that will observe them at different stages?
1: Yes. So we the athletes are 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 the athletes are always evaluated by a panel of classifiers so we normally work together with medical and technical classifiers so medical classifiers are normally physios physicians ophthalmologists psychologists and then the the technical classifiers are sports scientists or coaches so really sport specific people that have a, a, a very good knowledge of that particular sport so both classifiers they uh, are trained and centi- certified in line with the International Federation rules, and they are certified by national level by Paralympics Ireland, and then they can proceed into the international career there as well if they wish so with the International Federation. So those classifiers, medical and technical, work together and they complement each other. So it's really we have a group of classifiers in Ireland, both magical and technical, and we that it's um. Discussion between, so really as more as you work together, more you get this uh, synchrony and you actually can align your thoughts and really discuss each athlete's athlete's case to, to make sure you have an accurate and correct decision.
0: Okay. And do you, so I'm just thinking ahead, did you guys work uh, internationally then? So do you ever have to sit on a classification of an athlete from a different country to verify what the the individual countries have come up with? Or how does that work?
1: So at national level, we have a, a group of national classifiers. They are trained in line with the International Federation's rules and they classify Irish athletes. If they want to proceed into the international class to be an international classifier then they have, they will be uh, have further training within the International Federation for that on sport and they will be international trainee and then international level one or level two. So that means that they will travel to international competitions to classify on behalf of the international federations. So athletes go through national classifications when they are national level. Once they step into international competition level, they have to be internationally classified. So they are really very, very similar process using very the same rules, the same testing protocols, but it's just that they are evaluated by national classifiers and then international classifiers on behalf of international federation. So really, when our atl- when our classifiers want to become an international classifier, they won't classify Irish athletes. They will classify athletes that are. Participate in that particular international competition.
0: Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, a, a fail safe on the system. There, you've got double 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 checking everyone's marks.
1: Exactly. They always try to avoid that a classifier for a certain country classify their own athletes at international level. Sometimes there is no way around that in competitions, but mostly um, you, they try to to avoid that just to to ensure the fairness and no conflicts.
0: Okay. Um, Am I right in saying that there's still some sports that use a functional classification and some sports that use a medical classification?
1: Yes. So in the past, when the Paralympic movement started, all the sports used a medical classification system, which was based on the diagnosis of the athletes. And then now recently we moved into a functional classification, which really... uh, is based on the level of the activity limitation and how this activity limitation impacts on the performance rather than what diagnosis they have. So for physical impairment and for intellectual impairment, we have fully moved into this functional um, classification system, which is very sport specific because different impairments would impact each sport in a different way. So that's really the reason why we have to go into each sport specifically. The visual impairment classification currently has a medical um, system. They're, most of the international federations are currently running research to try to move into a functional system in the, in the future. But for now, the athletes go into, through a medical evaluation, which is the same testing protocol for all sports. So for visual impairment athletes, they're still into a magical system. For physical and intellectual impairments, they go into this functional system.
0: Okay, so for a vi- so on the visual impairment there for for a visually impaired athlete, um, how are they classified? So how do you, how do they separate out the athletes with different visual impairments?
1: Yeah, so athletes go through a medical evaluation as I mentioned before. They are they are classified uh, based around their acuity and then field uh, vision field. So those are the two kind of variables that they can be classified um, based around. And the classes go from B1 to B3. So B1 is for those who are completely blind or nearly completely blind. And then the B3 are for those who, who have a, a, the least level of vision impairment. So really, the, the, there are three classes for a vision impairment. But if you go to different sports, they name the class different. So the number always beh- remain the same, one to three. But then the name of the class might vary in sports. So for example, for athletics, if you see the for for track events, the the vision impairment classifications would go for T from T11 to T13, and then for field events would be F11 to F13. In swimming, for example, they go from S11 to S13. So the numbers one to three are, represent the same, but then the name of the class might change, vary according to the sport.
0: Okay, so it starts to make sense when you know that stuff. So. Yeah, athletics someone who's t thirteen is competes on the track and they have the least visual they're they're visually impaired but they are the least impaired amongst the visually impaired athletes
1: exactly yes, and then yeah. you see for the the b one athletes they normally fully blind they for most of the sports they also have to wear black masks or black goggles just to ensure the fairness so they these athletes might run with a guide as well, so you can see that they they have a more severe. Um, impairment, but then the S13s or the, the B3 athletes, they they might be more independent. They don't need a, a guide to run, so they are. You can really sometimes don't don't recognize straight away that they have a, a vision impairment.
0: Yeah, and what I think of it now as well, particularly for, for the visually impaired athletes, they've got some um, some specific sports that are only for athletes with a visual impairment. I never got to see either of them, but uh, I, I've seen some footage of goalball, which is uh, goalball and five-a-side soccer. Five-a-side soccer for athletes with a visual impairment is is something that's pretty impressive to watch.
1: It is. It's amazing to see the level of skills that they have uh, sometimes you wonder if they're definitely blind because uh, it, it is amazing how how these, they develop just uh, a specific set of skills that makes uh, the sport so fascinating. So we have currently in the Paralympic movement, we have nine uh, sports that offer competition for vision impairment athletes. Within those nine, three are only for vision impairment athletes. So as you mentioned, go ball, the football, five aside, and then the judo as well. So there's three sports only offer opportunity for vision impairment athletes.
0: Yeah, it's, fair. it's, it's, yeah, it's fascinating to watch. Um, and I, I, one of the, my regrets is not getting a chance to see those. But that's not to say I won't get to, to go and, and, and watch them in the future. What about some other sports then, leaving the, moving away from the visually impaired? So I think um, uh, maybe wheelchair tennis. That's, that's a fairly simple one where we can classify athletes. How, what, what, what way do they compete?
1: Yeah, for for wheelchair tennis, they compete in actually two different classes, so they are more broad classes. So you have the open class for those athletes who have an impairment on the lower limbs, and then you have a quad class, which is for athletes that have an impairment in the lower limbs plus the upper limbs as well. So they would have some the arms affected as well as the legs. So really, if you see the wheelchair tennis, they divide the athletes into two classes, While other sports divide athletes into multiple classes, so that's the case of paratable tennis, for example, they have 10 classes. So one to five would be for for players that play in a sitting position, so they are wheelchair users. Then from six to 10 is for standing players, and then class 11 is for players with intellectual impairment. So really, in general, the lower the number, the higher the level of the activity, uh, of the... The severity of the impairment. So the class one players would be severely impacted, rather than the class ten players would be would meet the minimum impairment criteria. So you would be a very at the least level of impairment. So really, table tennis would have these multiple classes, and then we have other sports that would have only one class, which is the case of power powerlifting. So in the powerlifting, is either the athlete is eligible or not and then they they have they are divided into weight categories so it really the way the the international federations distribute the athletes into classes vary the the impairments that they consider eligible for their own sport varies as well so that's why we have to follow the rules for each sport separately uh, differently
0: OK, that's it's, it's fascinating stuff. It really is. Um, what about uh, athletes who get, get reclassified? Is, is, is a classification a fixed thing or could, could an athlete as they uh, as they progress through their career, could their classification change?
1: As I mentioned before, so the athlete goes through the, the evaluation day, so the medical and technical assessment. Then they go through observational and completion. And they're going to receive a classification stat, a class, a class and a classification status as well, which determines if they will have to be reviewed again in the future or not. For so, In some cases, they receive the, the status confirmed straight away, which that means they don't need to be classified again in the future unless the rules change or their impact, their impairment changes. So really, that's the case, most of the cases for amputees, for example, where their impairment is unlikely to change in the future, so they can receive a confirmed status straight away. Some athletes, they're very young or they're very new to the sport or even they acquired disability uh, pretty recently. So we, or their impairment is for cerebral palsy. Sometimes it can vary uh, depending if they are nervous or if the room is cold. Or, so if you are not really 100% confident that you are giving the right class to the athlete, We can allocate a review or a review with fixed date uh, status, which that means the athlete will need to be re-evaluated again in the future. For some athletes, they would have progressive impairments. So really, they're going to continue under review status for throughout their whole sporting career because their impairment might might change uh, from time to time. So that's why we don't confirm it because we always have to... uh, be fair to the athletes in terms of what their activity limitation is uh, when they are competing. So if their impairment changes in the future, they ha- it needs to be, they need to be reviewed. They need to be just ensure that they are in the correct class.
0: So for someone, maybe again, back to it, someone who might have vision impairment that might get progressively worse over time, their classification could change as they progress through their career.
1: Exactly, yes.
0: Yeah, okay. And it's interesting again, yeah, you, 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 we don't often think um, of the issue of, of when did the athlete, were they, was it congenital? Were they born with an impairment? Or is it something that they acquired at some point in their life? And then at what point in their life did they acquire it? There's so many variables at play.
1: Yeah, yeah. With if, if Paralympic sport, yeah, it's, it doesn't follow a, a pathway the same way as the Olympic sport, because sometimes the athletes acquire. A disability later in life so they enter into the system in a different phase compared to the olympic sport and yeah it's it's very complex and they have some progressive impairments as well which might they might start in a higher class but within the years go into lower class which means a more uh, impacted uh, class so it it really varies according to disability according to the, the sport as well, the sport technique, how much their progression of the impairment is impacting on their performance.
0: Very good. So um, what about maybe the example, is there a case of maybe an athlete who might uh, train very, very effectively and they, through their training, perhaps they might minimize the impact of their impairments? Could that affect their classification?
1: The classification actually aims to minimize the impact of the impairment on the competition. So athletes cannot be penalized by improving their performance. So we don't, we don't evaluate their sporting skills when we are going through the, the, the classification. We evaluate really what impact his, their, their impairment have on, their, on the competition. So no, the athletes can't be penalized by improving the, the level of uh, sporting skills.
0: That's good, good. So, uh tell me, we might change change direction a little bit. You were recently over in Tokyo, uh at the the Paralympic Games, is that right?
1: Yes, uh, you were just yeah, back from from Tokyo. It was very and exciting games.
0: How was that experience?
1: It was it was great to see the athletes uh f- after facing all the challenges in the last few years with the covid, with postponed postponement of all the games. So, it was great to see how resilient they were. In the preparations and going through all these issues and changing plans constantly and then they were able to step up and do great performance in tokyo stick to the plan we had a a great team behind working behind to make sure that minimizing the noise so the athletes could focus on their own performance so it was a a a fantastic experience to be part of this team and to, to to see the athletes actually stepping up and being able to perform their best because they've been preparing for that for so long so it was uh, fantastic to see that happening
0: and when you when so when you're traveling with the a squad or when you're at a competition like the, the paralympics what's what's your role what are you doing day to day when you're there
1: In, at the games specifically I was allocated another um a role so I'm I, I also have a background in biomechanics so I was helping the teams with the performance analysis at particular games because we don't have classification at games anymore so we have classification in international competitions major competitions but not at Paralympics uh, Paralympic games anymore just because the the International Paralympic Committee they they don't want to actually um, have a greater impact on the on the games. Previous games up to London Paralympic Games, we had classification competition in the Paralympic Games, and that would impact a lot in the structure of the competitions with athletes changing classes at the games or being deemed not eligible at the games, which has a, a big impact on the major event. So uh, from Rio 2016, the, all the athletes need to be classified in advance to the, to, to the games. So that means that my job... My main job is actually done in advance to the games. So I was able to step in in different roles to support the team. Um, I'm also working as an anti doping officer for the organization. So I had an anti doping role. So it's really stepping up in different and supporting the team in different roles.
0: You're an anti doping officer as well.
1: Yes, for yeah, uh, I'm
0: hoping to have a chat with uh, with Siobhan Leonard uh, in a couple of episodes about anti doping as well. I'm, I'm really interested to speak to her, it's another area that I find fascinating.
1: It is, it is, and we have actually a great relationship and a great support from Sport Ireland. So it's it's a role that uh, we all support, it's highly important. So we really uh appreciate the, the anti doping and the rules in place, and even how how Sport Ireland actually uh, links with NGBs and for us to, to help us to provide proper education for our athletes.
0: Well, you can definitely tell them what a great experience this podcast is and, and get Siobhan to come on.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so when you were at the game, so you mentioned that you also have a background in biomechanics. Let's go back a, a, a few steps further than that. How did you start off on this career path?
1: Yeah, so as I mentioned before, I'm from Brazil and uh, I'm a qualified physiotherapist with a uh, specialization in sports and trauma. So when I was in college, there was a, a club in the university for parathletics and paraswimming uh, athletes with a physical and visual uh, disability. So I, once I got to know them and I got fascinated straight away, started volunteering for, for them um with general help, whatever they needed. When I was in college, once I graduated then, I continued working with them. So really it was a small club. So in small clubs, you do all all sorts of roles. So I was really doing the physio bit with the um, injury prevention program, but I've also been the team manager looking after logistics for national and international competitions. So really it's a very general role. And then in, 20, in 2009, actually, I attended a very comprehensive uh, course by uh, developed by the Brazilian Paralympic Committee to become a, a national classifier for swimming. So I has, a, has my part as my physical background. So I qualified as a medical classifier. So we did this course and I became classifier and I worked for them for three or four years. So I I got the chance to go to London 2012 Paralympic Games as part of the Brazilian team. That's when I relocated to, to Ireland and started um, volunteering for Paralympics Ireland. And because of my really... Uh, Interested in para swimming in particular, I took a master's in sports and biomechanics, sports and exercise biomechanics, We focus on the para swimming classification system. So just to, to help to improve the system, to make it more accurate, to make more objective. So really, that's where I am at the moment. Very, very keen to to continue this research and this biomechanic. Uh, Studies to make sure that we are able to support the international federations too on the ongoing improvement of the system.
0: So is that, that 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 you're a lot of my guests? They'll always say, and and this is for any of the students listening out there that it was it was volunteer work that got you started on your on your path.
1: It was both in Brazil and in Ireland. So in Brazil, that how that was how I opened door for the Paralympic movement, and uh, there if if you if you are willing to take part and to help you are always going to find good people to uh mentor you to welcome you so really it was it was the best thing i ever had cuz i had no idea what paralympic sport was at the time got involved just to see how it was like got got passionate about it when i moved to ireland again i approached paralympics ireland just to see if uh if they would be interested in in having a volunteer. And again, it opened, uh, the, they opened the doors for me and they straight away welcomed me and made me part of the team. So it was really, I was really, uh, glad that I actually, uh, volunteered and in 20, 2016, I was actually hired as a classification coordinator at the time. So we really- go back to Brazil. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I I decided to stay in Ireland. Yeah, uh, but it was really the volunteer uh, volunteering uh, opened uh, all the doors in my career. Yeah,
0: yeah, I feel I've the same, and and I've mentioned it a couple of times. But the where I am now all started with volunteering as well, and I think particularly in Ireland because Ireland is it, it's it's a relatively small community. You know, if you you volunteer, you do a good job, you'll get to know people and uh and, and that will always stand to you when you go looking for something a, a bit more permanent i think down the line
1: absolutely mainly because uh, the sport community it's quite small if you go into the paralympic community it's even smaller so you get to know every everyone around the world everyone that is actually working with biomechanics work with classification works with paris sports you know uh countries in our continent so it's it's definitely a good way to start
0: very good. Tammy, what do you enjoy most about your job?
1: I enjoy uh, being with athletes, first of all, just to, uh, some of the athletes won't make into the international level. So we see them at national level and then we support them once they step into their international um, levels, actually. But uh, yeah, some athletes, as I said, won't make that. But I I just love watching their their path, uh, their their route into the high-performance system. So really when I see them at national level, uh, evaluate at the beginning of their career and then see their progression into the international classification when they start their international career and then see the development within the uh, high-performance system, maybe towards podium positions. So really uh, watching the progression of athletes fascinates me.
0: Yeah, it's incredibly rewarding. Um, I now obviously I, I haven't. I, I worked with Ellen Keane, uh in Beijing and London, but back in Beijing, she was only thirteen. I think she was so young when she started off, and and to watch her, even from a distance, to watch her progress to that gold medal uh, over in Tokyo was uh, it's it, yeah make you proud, and it's a great journey to watch
1: yes mainly cuz you know all the the work that is done on the background to support the athletes as well so you know all the the team effort that goes into that the collaboration between professionals and with the athlete as well so it's it's really it is uh fascinating to to get to know what's involved and then the results to see the results where the athletes get
0: Sure. So look into the future then. What's, what's on the horizon for you? I know there's, we, everyone has in this area now, you've got a, a shortened time frame to work towards Paris. Um, what do you hope to do between now and then?
1: Yeah, so there are a few elements. So the International Paralympic Committee, they launched uh, a review of their own classification code for the next three years. So there will be a few changes in the classification rules. With that, they, each international federation will have to update their own rules. So we expect a lot of training opportunities across all sports in the next few years. And I'm also looking forward to go back into the data collection for research because we we all had to park that uh, travel and interaction with athletes. So hopefully now we are able to start um, developing these studies again, data collection, and then at national level, I'm really looking forward to continue these. We are pushing really hard now the education and pro- production of resources to really make people understand what classification is and uh, just cause increase the awareness of classification and para-sports so that they can understand better and they can appreciate the competition. So I'm really looking forward to keep pushing the this side of the uh, the business, so the education, so then people can buy in and understand more the Paris sport.
0: Well, it sounds like you're going to be busy.
1: Yes, I hope so.
0: Good. Well, I, I think like this has been a really fascinating chat. I think anyone who listens in here is going to have a much. You, you've done a super job of um, of communicating what is a very complex area, and you can, I can tell from 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 the passion in your voice that you really love what you do. Um, so I, I, I just want to say thank you so much for speaking to me today. I know we got off to a bit of a slow start this afternoon, but it's really been worthwhile.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for having me today. And I said, yeah, I am passionate about my job. I I am passionate about Paralympic, Paralympic movement. So uh, you wouldn't get me to stop talking once we go into <laughs> these, these subjects. But uh, yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity and I really appreciate that.
0: No, thank you. Thank you. It's been fascinating.
1: Thank you, Bruce.
0: Well, that was a super end to my week. We almost didn't get off the ground today because of some technical issues, but it was definitely worth the wait. Anna was really interesting and did an awesome job of making a complex subject very accessible. Here are my take home points from the episode. Classification is essential to sports in order to ensure a level playing field for the athletes and to make sure that in a given sports classification, the athlete who performs the best wins as opposed to the athlete whose impairment has the least impact on their ability to perform. Classification is complex, but it's amazing to see people like Anna working behind the scenes, administering the system and working hard to evolve the process through research and advocacy. Finally, Ada clearly loves her job and is passionate about her work. And once again, this stemmed from volunteering in an area that she was interested in. I feel like a broken record here, but this just keeps coming up with all my guests. Volunteer, do a good job, and it can often lead to bigger and better things. Okay, that's it for today. If you've made it this far, you might do one more thing and share the episode. Just click the share icon and stick it up on one of your socials. You can catch me on Instagram at B underscore Wardrop. As always, I welcome any feedback or suggestions that you might have for the show. That's it for today. Thanks for listening.